Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. The scripture this evening will be Titus chapter 2, verses 9 through 14. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Would you open God's book, please, to Titus, the second chapter? And in particular, I want to pull out a, a phrase of, uh, in verse 10. So jump down to Titus chapter 2 and then to verse 10. This is going to be a lesson that uh, I've, I've written in order to help us launch into our week. But the simplicity of it is uh, it's not lost on me. I know it's a terribly simple principle. I'm going to have to dig down a little bit to get to the line, and I'll do that. But I think this is something that's very universal. A lot of times I preach sermons that are particularly designed for specific groups of people. That's not true about this one. Everybody in this room needs this. Everybody in this room needs to, to absorb these nine things. I don't think it's a bad idea if you make a list of these, and if you can't write them down quick enough or whatever, I'll be happy to give them to you later and put them on the refrigerator. Sometimes biblical principles are good put on your refrigerator. In chapter 1 of Titus, Titus is told by Paul, I want you to ordain elders in every city. And you have the qualifications there of good men. And they will represent the church. People will look to them because they're the leaders of the congregations. Get to chapter 2 and he starts out and he says, now, I want you to speak the things that are characteristic of sound doctrine. And then he divides the preaching that Titus is to do into four categories. Older women, younger women, older men, younger men, which I think is very interesting. Sort of custom fits it. This is, this is what each group will need. And then he jumps down to slaves. And that's, that's where our particular clause, part of this verse that I want to focus on, is found. Now, it's true that the New Testament in 1 Timothy chapter 1 uh, says something about slavery and condemns what the Bible calls in the King James and the ESV men-stealers. It's in a list of, of awful sins that, that he's prohibiting and he's, he's binding these things, and he says men-stealers. The Greek word literally means that, well, it means what you think. Now, my, my New King James says kidnappers, and um, that's kind of interesting, but, the, but you can go to the Greek, and it's there. Men-stealers, people, and this seems kind of reminiscent of, of our early American experience, you know, the history here of, of going and taking peoples and bringing them back and selling them. 
And so there is a prohibition, but the great emphasis in Scripture, the New Testament, if you just measure it by how many passages there are, the great emphasis is not just to prohibit slavery. This is kind of subtle, I think, but, but it's how slaves and masters are to act. If you're a Christian, then you're bound by how you should behave as a slave owner or as a slave. It's not because he's endorsing slavery. Slavery is, I mean, I don't want to be a slave. Slavery is inconsistent with Christian principles. And eventually, I'm convinced it's Christianity and the influence of Christianity that eradicated slavery in America. But what you've got mostly about the subject is to say, if you're a Christian and you're a slave, this is how I want you to be. And it's not easy to listen to in today's climate. It, it, seems, it seems hard to hear. Well, I think it was probably hard in that climate too. Let's, let's go through it. Now, let me show you what I mean. I want to uh, start. I'm going to show you four passages that have to do with slavery, and then we're going to get to the main line for this sermon. Titus chapter 2 and verse 9, exhort bondservants, that's doulos. It's just the word for, it's a common word for slave. And, and it, it, would, it would hold and contain different kinds of slavery. And people sometimes talk about different, you know, a bondservant. You talk about an indentured slave, somebody paying back a debt, and he would do that by making himself a slave. Or sometimes just a plain old common slave, somebody who's owned by another person. Doulos. Exhort doulos to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of our God in all things. Ephesians 6 verse 5, bondservants, doulos, slave. Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. With fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men knowing that whatever good anyone does, he'll receive the same from the Lord, whether he's a slave or free. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the reward of the inheritance. You're going to go to heaven. You hold on. For you serve the Lord Jesus Christ, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. And there's no partiality. Now you just let that soak in. What a comfort that must have been to those slaves who were suffering. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1. Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And those who have, have believing masters... Let them not despise them because they're brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Now, I tell you what, that's, that is strong and clear teaching. Let's, let's do this now. I want to I just make a list of the ten things that are enjoined upon slaves in the New Testament. Ten things. So you just, I just took these verses and I wrote them out. Number one, be obedient to your master. Two, Please your master in all things. Three, don't talk back to your master. Four, don't steal from him. There's the word pilfering. Five, show your master fidelity. And when you look up the Greek word, Strong says that it's moral conviction of religious truth or the truthfulness of God or religious teacher. In other words, 
Don't, don't hide the fact that you're a Christian. Uh, it, it's, it's that you would want him to know, the master to know, that you're, you're a good and faithful servant, but you're doing that because Jesus taught you to do that. Number six, obey your masters with fear and trembling. Obey your master in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Eight, don't merely obey with eye service, but obey him from the heart with good will. Nine, serve your master as you serve the Lord. Ten, count your master as worthy of honor so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. Now, that brings us to the line in Titus 2 and verse 10 that is the launching pad for this lesson tonight. He says, I want you to do this, doulos, servants, slaves. I want you to do this in order that the doctrine of God might be adorned. That you might adorn the doctrine of God. Now, I know what adorned means. In fact, it's in the Bible a number of times. I pulled out three examples just just to flavor this, just so that we... Uh, get a grip because this is what we're going to talk about in the next few minutes. You remember 1 Timothy 2 and verse 9, in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel and so forth. Now, you know, we don't know what that means. They're, they're, adorn means an ornamentation or, or to make more beautiful. It's just interesting that in these three verses, all three have to do with the more beautiful sex. It, it has to do with women. Here's 1 Peter 3, 5. In this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God adorned themselves. You know what that means, being submissive to their own husbands? That, that, this, is, this is to ornament, ornamentation. This is to be more beautiful. In this case, obeying their husbands. And then you have Revelation 21, 2, and John saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared, are you ready for this, as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, I would not have have said what Paul says in Titus 2 and verse 10 about adorning the the doctrine of God. I would not have launched out on any kind of statement like that because it gives me the heebie-jeebies to say that you could make the doctrine of God more beautiful. Who, uh, listen, who do I think I am to say that? But I'm saying this by the authority of the Word of God. This is what it says. And the point is that But as Christians, there are ways we can behave that will make the doctrine of God more beautiful to the people around us. The opposite must also be true, and in your heart you know it's true. There are ways that I can behave around people around me, and if they, I'd be embarrassed for them to know I was a Christian. Because if they learned I was a Christian, surely they'd have a bad taste in their mouth about the Lord's church. So with that in mind, I want to give you a list of nine things. It's, it's just a list that I made. I, you, you, you could make, you, you might make the list longer and you could. You could think of other things. But I want to give you nine things. Number one, this one comes from chapter one and verse two of um, chapter, I mean one and two of chapter one. And it's this, acknowledge the truth and hope. Acknowledge the truth. So what I'm going to do is give you qualities of our personalities that we need to develop. But it's got to start here. Here's here's the bedrock, and it's that is that we've got to acknowledge the truth. Relativism is not what this is about. When you say adorn the doctrine of God, it's not not to say what we should do is be very flexible in in what we stand for. No, that's that's not it. What we're going to do is to acknowledge the truth 
When you talk about the truth of God's word, you're talking about, oh, this is wonderful. I mean, in a, in a dark time when people find truth to be relative, what's true for you may not be true for me. The word of God just stands like, like a tower. The word of God is absolute, it is universal, and it is objective truth of God. So you start out, if you're going to adorn the doctrine of God, you start out with this principle. There's truth. It's knowable truth. It's graspable, and it's something that we've got to acknowledge. So in my life, as I start in this list, that's going to be part of me. I'm not, I'm not in your face. I'm not violent. It's not about forcing people. It is simply to say, I'm, I'm going to be acknowledging the truth. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now, here's number two. Harbor no malice. Harbor no malice. Some people go through life with their grudges in their hearts, and they harbor bitterness. Maybe in a family, maybe in the church, maybe among friends. Before long years have passed by, and that thing's still inside of you, and it comes back and back, and you don't deal with it. And people, people you hate, if you let yourself hate somebody, will own you. Because you'll be thinking about them even when they're nowhere around. Even, even when they're having no influence, practical influence in your life and they're not, you're not having conversations with them, they'd be there far, far away and they still come into your thought processes. Harbor no malice. First Timothy 6 and verse 4 talks about evil surmising. You know what evil surmising is? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's that I, I would put the worst possible connotation on anything I know about them, anything I hear them say, anything I see them do, because I'm harboring malice, evil surmising. Matthew 7 and 12 is the golden rule, and you know what that is. First Peter 2 and verse 1 says, laying aside all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So number two is, I will harbor no malice. I've got to get rid of it. When it comes up in my soul, I must fight it. What you can do is to, is to force yourself. It may take you some time, but you can force yourself to pity that person instead of hating that person. Number three, envy no one. You, you have anybody in your world right now that you envy? Can you think of anybody you envy? And maybe it's about... It could be just about anything. I mean, it could be about popularity, or it could be about, I mean, it could be financial. It could be about your house is bigger than mine or prettier than mine. It could be about, oh, it's often about position. I mean, how come she or he got that that bump up into the other office, and I'm still here, and I I, I deserve that more than them. I I don't know why then I could envy somebody. Discontentment and materialism, and what you and I should do is live simply. Again, 1 Peter 2 and verse 1 includes the word envy, and you've got to get rid of that and replace it as newborn babes, and you desire this sincere milk of the word. I, I will envy no one. That's not an arrogant statement. It's a decision. Just as you make a decision not to hate somebody, you'll make a decision not to envy them. We just won't do it. You want me to tell you how you get rich? I can tell you a secret about rich. It's to change the way you think. Don't think about all the things you wish you had. Be thankful for what you do have. And you're rich. Four, be kind and gentle. Is that true about your personality? 
Are you harsh and sharp and cross? And Cindy and I went into a, I think it was this Bojangles over here. When it first opened up, and, uh, and the manager came over and had a talk. He may have been the owner, I don't know, but I always remember what he said. I always will. I said, you know, this is a nice place. It's, it was brand new, and, and I said, you know, the, the person, the clerk up there, she was very friendly, and he shook his head. And I've told you this before, but he shook his head, and he said, you can't put, I, I can't put that in them, the kindness, the friendliness. Either, either they were raised with it, or they don't know it. And if they don't know it, I can't, I can't make that happen. Did you ever go into a, a fast food restaurant, and the person at the, at the clerk there with a cash register treated you like you were an imposition? I know they have a difficult life, and I, you know, I, I can, I'm okay, but I just want to illustrate that, that what we should do in all of these things, we've got to be teaching our children these things. We've got to practice them ourselves and be teaching them to our children. Ephesians 4.32, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. You say, yeah, that's hard. Come on now, hold on. Remember where we got this, this adorning the doctrine of Christ? We got it when it was given as an instruction to doulos, when it was given an instruction to slaves. What kind of life is that? And I expect it was on purpose. Everything the Holy Spirit did for us and the, the giving us of the Scripture was on purpose. And so we fret about this, but I think it was because you have this egregious example of a, of a hard way to live slave. I, I just, how, you know, how do you exceed that? Hard way to live. And to him, to that man, he says, to that slave, he says, I, w- I want you to adorn, adorn the doctrine of God. You, you adorn it in the way you live. Don't steal. Don't be lying to your master. I want you to do your work, not as, a, not as men pleasers. Don't you be doing it just like like when he's watching you, you be doing it all the time. You do what you should do so that when he looks at you, you've got a good name. What are you doing? I, what you're doing is, is representing God. You're representing Christianity. And, and when people see that, they need to interpret, they need to see that if you're a Christian, you really are a genuine Christian, that it changes the way you are. It changes your personality to something better. So number four is be kind and gentle in your personality. Here's number five. Work every day to deserve the confidence that people have in you. Try every day to be on time for your appointments. Always keep your word. Fulfill your commitments. Luke 10 and verse 33, this Samaritan stopped. Came where he was. When he saw him, he went and bound up his wounds. He say, I know him. And he deserves my confidence. Be careful about a job in which, can you hear me? Be careful about a job in which any form of dishonesty is simply expected of you. Don't, don't give your ethics away to anybody. Don't give your honesty away to anybody. Don't make your ethics so squishy in order to be kind. I, I, guess, I guess when you talk about adorning the... Christianity, that that could be how some people interpret it. I know that I know it is. So, so it's, it's, that, it's that I just need to make it easier for them to obey God. No, you, you can't do that. No way, because you compromise. What I have to do is to be a com- more accommodating to people's 
sins and the way that they're going in the wrong direction. No, no, no. no. What, what, we, what we're not about as Christians is pulling the gospel down to us. We've got to pull ourselves up to the gospel because that's the standard. And where we started was acknowledging the word, acknowledging the truth. Work every day to deserve the confidence that other people have in you. Be a person of integrity in reference to everyone. Here's Romans twelve seventeen. Have regard for the good things in the sight of all men. Good in the Greek there means virtuous and honest. Here's number six. Apologize quickly when you're in the wrong. In Matthew chapter 18, you, you know about Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, you go to him and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he hears you, you've gained your brother. And, and you know what? It'd be a whole lot simpler if, if you never had to go beyond that because it, Jesus went beyond that. And he said, and if he won't hear you, you take one or more with you. And if he won't hear them, then you tell it to the church. And if he won't hear them, then let him be to you as a heathen man and a publican. So you withdraw yourselves from that person. Why should it ever go there? Why should it go there? And when you apologize, make it good. You know, Luke chapter 15, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no more worthy to be called your son. What if we practiced apologizing when we're wrong? And we don't put up that barrier so quickly. I'm not saying that you're always wrong just because somebody says you are. That would, that would be illogical and unfair. But it's also the case that I may have this wall that comes up when I'm told that I'm wrong about something and I need to go and think about that. And when I if I realize, when I realize what I've done really is wrong, I'm wrong about that. I don't need to make it slow. A friend of mine told me recently, recently about a mistake that was made in a team, engineering kind of team. What happened is that one of the guys, if I, if I have the story straight, in constructing what they were all putting together, the part that he was responsible for, he let a, an imperfect, that imperfect component go on down into the product. It was time, you know. It was, it was about a time factor. It was, it was that time was a crunch, and so he went ahead and let it go in. And then the, the thing was put together, and it, and it showed up. The problem was big and significant, and, it, and people didn't know. So what if you... What if you did something like that and nobody knew it was you. What about, what about then? And so the person, according to the story as it was told to me, who was responsible, he knew he did it. He knew that he had gotten in a rush that day and that he put an inferior part, a flawed part, into that product. And he, he communicated to his superior, that was me. I, I did that. Here's what happened. And I, I knew it. It wasn't like an accident. I did it. And he was, of course, expecting to be, well, unemployed. Went back to his office. And shortly there was a, there was a gift on his desk from the main boss. And an invitation to come to that office and have a conversation. And the boss... I'm sure he said, now, let's be more careful. But the, the main theme of the boss's discussion was, we need people like you who care about integrity. You didn't have to tell. But you've got something inside of you that I want. I want this in the employees, and I want you to know how much I appreciate your honesty. Now, I'm not silly enough to think that that's how that would always turn out. I don't, 
I, I don't think that. But it illustrates the point. Apologize quickly when you're in the wrong. How are you doing about that in your marriage? Are you good about that? Apologizing quickly. Can you just imagine how, how difficult days could be shortened into not so difficult if when you're in the wrong, you just say it instead of keeping on and on and on. You know, just say it. And make it look, look wait, just, just, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're right about that. I was wrong. I, I, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. Will you just forgive me? Will you forgive me? Number seven. Express gratitude freely. How are you doing about that? You, you, you express gratitude to your spouse? Eh, come on. When was the last time you said to your wife, I, you know, you really, you really just do so much for me, and I know that I don't say it often. I mean, when was the last time you said it to your husband? I just want you to know that you take care of me in so many important ways, and I'm just, I'm just so thankful for you. How about to the elders? How about to strangers? How about to waitresses? You you say, I really appreciate your service. Thank you for what you do. College students, young professionals, those whose parents may be still making sacrifices for them. Have you written a letter? Have you expressed it? Be free with your gratitude. Think about it. Acknowledge kindness as people do for you. What are we doing? Well, I can tell you, you're making life better, but it's not just that. What you're doing, I would argue, would be that you're adorning the, the teachings of the Scriptures because Christians must be different. We're not like everybody else. Number eight, be a gracious loser. Be a good loser. Colossians 4 and verse 6, let your speech be always with, with grace seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer every man. How about our speech? Now, say it's it's seasoned with salt. Just, that doesn't just mean don't say the four-letter words. It means you ought to say good things. Parents need to teach this to their children. When, when my children came home from Lads to Leaders, this is kind of a hidden virtue of Lads to Leaders. I'm a fan of Lads to Leaders, as you know. And when we would go to the competition, some years the kids would, would win trophies and some years they wouldn't. And both years were good for them. It was good. Children need to learn that sometimes they're not going to win. And then they need to learn how to treat people who did. And it's something about character building. And it ought to be true in you and me. Even when I feel that sting of envy in my heart about what somebody else has. I should be happy for them. Now I'm going to tell you something. That's, just, that's not just a natural emotion. That's a Christian emotion. It's something which we're taught from Scripture. Here's number nine. Avoid arguing over nothing. Now, here's Titus chapter 3 and verse 9. Because I had a problem with this. But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they're unprofitable and useless. Do all things, Philippians 2.14, without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. I suppose about half of social media involves grumbling and disputing. You reckon that's true? I don't, I don't get much on social media because uh, the Facebook thing, I, I've read some of that, you know, I, but um, how that would change if Christians all just avoided useless wrangling over nothing. I'm not saying it's all nothing. I'm just saying that, that, a, that a considerable amount is avoid arguing over nothing. So, 
Here you go. Slaves. Titus chapter 2. He's talked to older men, younger men, older women, younger women, and then he gets on slaves. I, I, I don't know what I would have written had it been me, but the Holy Spirit gave this to the Apostle Paul, and he wrote it down, and he said, I want you, slaves, doulos, I want you to, ord- to uh, adorn the doctrine of God in hope. Ladies and gentlemen, as we launch into this week, work week, school week, whatever you've got planned, I want you to think about these nine things and to think that I can, I can besmirch the doctrine of God or I can adorn it by the way I live, by the way I act, by how people perceive me. I want to adorn it. So glad that you're here. Is there someone who wants to obey the gospel now would be a great time to make that decision. I want to repent of my sins. I want to confess Jesus' name. I want to be immersed in water because I want to be saved. We'll be happy to do that for you and with you. And if you need the prayers of the Christians, what about now? We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.